reading uh, verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Um, Acts 12, 19 through 20. <laughs> when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace, because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of God and not of man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Please be seated for the special meeting. Glitchy this morning, hey? I got this microphone thing on my face. It's giving me more problems than usual. <laughs> um, but let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time in his word. Um, Ask him that he would be pleased with what's proclaimed in our response to it. And um, just trust him now at this time, okay? Let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you now, and, and we acknowledge that we need your help, uh, even in these moments, Father. Um, we're, we are here together, uh, gathered together to worship and praise you. Thank you for those songs we got to sing. Thank you for a church family that has blessed with so many that can minister in music. Thank you for the scripture as it was read, Father. And um, thank you for what you're going to do in these moments now, Lord. Father, I pray that we would be active listeners. And I do pray, Father, that you would keep me saying, keep me from saying anything I should not say. May you be pleased with what is proclaimed in our response to it. That Jesus would be exalted in this place this morning. And that would we, we'd be drawn in closer relationship to him and closer to you, Father. And, uh, Empowered by your Holy Spirit this morning as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts 12, 19 through 25. Uh, the title of this message is The Word in the World. The Word in the World. Philosopher Voltaire, you might be familiar with this. You may have heard it a few times. I'm familiar with this. The French philosopher Voltaire was a was an enemy of Christianity and he hated the word of God. He there, there's a lot of correspondence he had with people of his day. He's a man who lived in the 1700s and he, he wrote a lot of correspondence, a lot of letters to people and a lot of those letters he would close with uh, some little saying and I don't know, I can't read French but and I don't remember what it was interpreted to be but he would close each letter with like to to the death of Christianity or something like that. That was his that was his little P.S. statement on, the, on these letters he would send uh, all around to different folks. He was, a, he was a very brash enemy of Christianity, and he hated the Word of God. In 1767, and he was quoted for saying a lot of things about the Bible, but in 1767, he was quoted as saying this, we are living in the twilight of Christianity. In 1776, the year of this nation's founding, uh, he wrote this, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked at by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. In other words, 
his expectation and desire was that the Word of God would become rare and irrelevant. That was his desire and his expectation that that would be the case. Well, he died two years later in 1778. And about 50 years later, a home of his that was in Geneva, Switzerland, became a storehouse for Bibles and gospel tracts. So, you know, Voltaire had a lot of things to say about the Bible, but the, but the Word of God goes on. Hey? He wasn't able to see any of that that he was hoping for. And that's a story that speaks of God's Word as enduring and advancing in the face of any and all opposition. But Voltaire's views were his views, but they were not his views alone. And they were not new. Hey? In other words, to use a, a term that's being, being used a lot these days with regard to the virus that, that we're dealing with, his views were not novel. <laughs> they weren't new. And um, people still have these views today about the Word of God, that it's going to pass away. It's going to become irrelevant. They hope that it becomes rare. They want to do away with the Word of God. Some, some people, like Voltaire, despise the Word of God. Many do. Other people deny the Word of God. Someone has, someone has said this, and they said it well, so this isn't original with me, but some despise the Word of God. Others deny the Word of God. Some distort the Word of God. Some dissect the Word of God, while others disregard the Word of God. And it seems to me this man, Herod, is in that category. He's a man who has a disregard for the Word of God. But, and we'll see that in a few minutes here. But with all that in mind, I'd like to get to the point of the message this morning, and that's this, that the Word, it's about this, it's, it's about the Word of God in a world of people. That's what the message is about this morning, the Word of God in a world full of people. Last week we focused on the topic of prayer and just started right up front acknowledging that prayer is a big subject. So we limited that time to just three things and we didn't even exhaust those three things and that was the privilege, the priority, and the power of prayer. And it was through prayer that the church saw Peter released from prison and saved from the hands, the murderous hands and the murderous intentions of this King Herod. Hey? It's been said also with regard to this first century church, as you look at the book of Acts, it's been well said, I don't know who, who, who to attribute this to, but it's been said this way, never have so few done so much with so little. The church didn't have much of anything by worldly standards, but what they had was mighty and powerful. And one of the tools they had at their disposal was what we talked about last week. They had prayer. The other thing they had that was even more powerful was the thing we're talking about today, and that is the Word of God. That's what they had. And that's, those are the things that we have today. The same things we have today. We have the privilege... And the, we have the privilege and the priority and the, and, and the power of prayer, and we have the Word of God. We have those same tools at our disposal. While, and while prayer is a big subject, our subject today is even bigger than that, the Word of God. Eh? The Word of God is inexhaustible. There's so much for us to learn with regard to the Word of God. It's inexhaustible. Um, Soren taught evening service a couple I don't think it was last week. Maybe it was. Was it last week, Soren? Psalm 62. Psalm 62, 11 says, uh, Psalm, the psalmist is David, and he says, one thing, have, one thing have you said, O Lord, and two things have I heard. 
God's word is just inexhaustible. When you, when you come to it, you realize, I mean, there are verses that spoke to me and, and, and spoke truth into my life and um, in a certain way at a certain time. And I come to those same verses and I realize they're speaking to me even, even more truth and even deeper truth and even greater truth. The same verse. God's word is like that, isn't it? When you, when you first got saved and you'd come across the verse and it would just speak to your soul. And then 10 years removed, you're looking at that same verse and it's just blessing your heart in a way that you never could have imagined. God's word is like that. It's inexhaustible. And it's immeasurable. The power and value of God's word is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. You just can't measure the value of God's word. You just think of how God's word has, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, think of how God's word has impacted your own life. And the value of that is immeasurable. You're, you're going to live, you're going to leave from this place this morning and you're going to start your week and, and you're going to come face to face with different things and, and, and you're going to interact with the world and the people in the world. And, and as you do that, apart from the word of God, how much success would we have in doing that? Zero. Amen. Amen. We'd have zero success. The value and the power of the word of God, it's immeasurable. And, and they are truths, it, the word of God are truths that are immutable. In other words, they're unchanging truths. Unchanging truths. What a wonderful thing the word of God is. You know, Psalm 119 is one of the longest, I think it is the longest chapter in the Bible. And Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. And here's, a, here's one of those examples. I've read Psalm 119, I don't know how many times. And I remember the first time I read it, I, I thought, it sounds like he's saying the same thing. And the next time I read it, I gleaned a little more. And the next time, I've been going through it, uh, well, I was just recently. It was such a blessing to go through what, what the psalmist says about the Word of God from this aspect and that aspect and, and just soaking that in. The longest chapter in the Bible is all about the Word of God. And the Bible itself, the Bible itself is the Word of God, right? The whole of the Bible, not just Psalm 119, all of it, all Scripture is God-breathed, right? The whole Bible, it's the Word of God. But Psalm 119.89 says this, God's Word is forever settled in heaven. What a marvelous truth to grab a hold of. God's truth is, God's Word, rather, is forever settled in heaven. But I have a question with regard to that. And that is this. How is it faring here on earth? God's word is forever settled in heaven, but how's it doing here on earth? Brings us to our first point. We only have two points. In this message, Lord willing, we're going to be done at 20 after, okay? 25 minutes. Sit tight. We're going to have to move here. The first point is this. God's word endures in a world of people who may despise deny distort or disregard the word of god god's word endures despite any and all and or all opposition so that's why today we're looking at the word of god in a world of people that's what we're considering today but god's word endures all adversaries to god and his word word rather lose in the end all adversaries that come before God and His Word ultimately lose. These verses that Howard's read for us, and, and just these first few, 19 through 23, and the last two we'll take with the last point here, 
19 through 23, these verses speak to the futility of fighting against God. I think Luke would have his reader to know that all the adversaries of the gospel and all their plans are no match for God and His enduring word. I think that's what Luke would have his reader to know. Let's look at them again. Verse 19, when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he, ex- he examined rather the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending some time there. You know, um, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 6 and 8. Isaiah is a wonderful chapter. There's all kinds of beautiful things in that chapter. We don't have time to touch on that. But Isaiah 40, 6 and 8, those two verses, we're going to skip 7, uh, say this, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. And verse 8 says this, The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God stands forever, or the word of God endures forever. God has an enduring word, and it does not matter how powerful a person is or seems to be. This man, Herod, is a very powerful man. Herod Agrippa I, he's a very powerful man, and he seems to be just too powerful for anybody to stand up to. In this verse, It tells us that Peter was nowhere to be found. So at least four of these guys, these soldiers, there were 16 of them, four groups of four, at least four of these guys are going to be executed, right? Maybe all 16 of them are going to be killed. He's a very powerful man. They're going to lose their lives by Herod's command. He's commanded that they be executed, and that has happened. Peter is searched for, and these guys have been interrogated. And just think of this. If these guys could have found Peter or explained what had happened to him, They would have. They would have. Their silence, their silence is is a wonderful evidence to the facts of this of this section of scripture here. The facts of his escape, that they're and they they just have no explanation for it. Now we don't know how much time has passed from the time of Peter's escape to Herod leaving for Caesarea, it says, and he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and there abode, that's the King James. We don't know how much time has passed, but we do know that this Herod, Herod Agrippa I, was king from 41 to 44 A.D. And so this event of his death, of Herod's death, that that Howard's read for us, he was eaten by worms. That's not very pleasant, is it? This account happened in 44 A.D. This this is when this man died. So so right there, that gives us a time stamp for verse uh, 23. 22 and 23 for the things the events that are taking place it was in 44 AD um, but he, but but he leaves Herod does he leaves after his after his plans are thwarted by God his plans to execute Peter he's he's killed James he's arrested Peter he wants to bring them before the Jews so he can please them and God thwarts his plans by this miraculous escape of Peter supernatural escape and through the prayers of the saints his political aspirations of the moment are derailed and he leaves judea luke seems to portray herod's active hostility as being not of any sort of out of any sort of religious convictions but he has this hostility that is born out of political expedience he has a cold indifference to the people of god and a cold indifference to the word of god and the same is true today for us as believers there is that in the world today but God's word endures. Maybe he needs to go down to Caesarea, or 
maybe he needs to go, yeah, down to Caesarea. Maybe he needs to go there to noose, to noose, to nurse his wounded eagle, hey? Herod, it says that Herod was highly displeased, and Herod was displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, it says in verse 20. He's highly displeased or very angry. Tyre and Sidon, both very prominent cities of that time and had been for hundreds of years. Tyre is a busy port city that had warehouses that stored commerce from around the world. Now, I don't know what they, what, why they had to rely on Herod. And we're not given that information, but they relied on Herod for their food for some reason. But Tyre and Sidon, about 20 miles north of there, port cities along the Mediterranean there were very prominent cities. A lot of people would have lived in these cities. And so this delegation is sent to Herod, hey? And we're not told what this dispute between Herod and the people of these two cities is all about. Only that Herod is furious, or the word furious is exasperated by them because of this dispute. And Herod is powerful enough that he has the upper hand. They have to come to Herod. They're seeking an audience with him. They come, it says, with one accord. But they came with one accord to him having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend. Do you see the power of this king? This is a powerful man by worldly standards. He is a powerful, powerful man. And he's against God's people and he's against the word of God. And they've sought the favor of the king through a mediator. The king's most trusted official most likely would be this man, Blastus. The, the king's chamberlain would be his most trusted man. If you want to have an audience with the king, you had to go first through this man. And they come seeking peace, it says. They desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. Now that, most, most people think that's through food. It could have been through some other, who knows, geopolitical thing. But they were nourished by him. They, they, they relied on Herod. They relied on this king. So they come out of a necessity. And they've made him angry. Maybe they violated some contracts or commerce agreements. We don't know. But it's one thing. It's one thing. There's Herod in debate with the people of these two cities. It's one thing to debate or dispute with other people about the affairs of the day or the affairs of the moment. That's one thing, right? Or even to debate other people about the authority of the Word of God. That's, that's one thing, isn't it? We might have conversations with people and, and find ourselves debating about the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Word of God. That's something else, isn't it? But regardless of a person's position before men, standing before the God of the Word, there will be no debate. If you seek peace with God and you want to come to Him, you must go through His mediator. There is one mediator before God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's one thing for us to talk about the events of the day, the political atmosphere of the day. It's one thing for us to to, to debate and, and to argue with one another and argue with other folks maybe about these things and to discuss these things. It's another thing to go before people and say, look, you need the Word of God. And for those people to bicker to us, I'm repeating myself, I know, and say, look, I don't buy that. That's not my authority. That's one thing. But every one of those people that would say that one day are going to stand before a holy God and there's going to be no debate. Now, why is that an important thing? It's important because this message ought to give us boldness and this is a message that ought to give us encouragement that, this, that we stand on the B-I-B-L-E, that this is 
the inspired, the very Word of God. It's not a small thing to, to think about that. But here Herod takes his position. So he's a powerful man. He's a man of position. It says, and upon a set day in verse 21, or on an, appoint, on an appointed day, on an appointed day. Oh, those begin with a vowel. It's hard for me to say that. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. Here's Herod. He prepares himself. He, he gets dressed in his best clothes. He wants to look the part. And he's prepared some words to say. And he takes his position on the rostrum or the judgment seat. And he's going to make this public address. He's going to make a speech to a multitude of people. You know, it does not matter how much pomp and circumstance that goes along with that. You know the word pomp? I wanted to use the word pomp here. I was going to use it in a different way, but we're speeding this up a little bit. But the word pomp means vainglory. It doesn't matter how much vainglory Herod attaches to himself and to this event. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. Ultimately, no one will avoid having to do business with God, and, and Herod's going to have to do that on this day. It says, And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. I don't even want to say it very loud, but they were shouting it, and they were shouting it repeatedly. They were excited, excitedly praising Herod for his oration. Now, whether that was out of some kind of sense of obligation to him or necessity, hey, let's praise this guy because we need to get on his good side, or whether he was just a good orator or a combination of the two, doesn't matter. They were praising him. I happen to think it's the latter. It was a combination of the two. They were flattering for advantage, and they kept shouting. It was a clamor. must have been some kind of speech to get everyone all, that, all, all excited like that. But Herod, the problem is, Herod receives that praise as if he is worthy of it, and he's not. What's Isaiah say? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. He receives the praise of the people without acknowledging God. It says in verse... Well, let me get back to my Bible here. 23, And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory... Give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Or the King James. And he gave up the ghost. It adds. There's something to consider here. If there's something that feeds your ego and not your soul, you probably ought to be real careful of that. Hey, I was someplace, in a different place, at a different time, and... Uh, a young man was tasked with giving a message that morning, and the message, I didn't know what the message was going to be. I'm the guy that gave him the task months in advance. It was going to be a, it was going to be, a, what do you call that when you do in the morning? A devotion. He was tasked with a devotion. His name is Steve. Steve is tasked with a devotion. Months in advance. The day comes. Steve gives the devotion. He does the devotion on the man of God. We ought to be careful not to be going around calling everyone a man of God. And it, it just this beautiful 
He really put himself into this. It was a beautiful message and a good reminder that we ought to be careful with how, how we ought to be careful with our words and stuff like that was the, the gist of what he was saying. Fast forward just a few hours and I meet this other individual for the first time and he comes up to me and he grabs my hand and he's really excited to see me and he pulls me close and he says, I know something about you. And I said, oh yeah, what's that? And he says, you are a man of God. You know the first thing that happened? I went, wow. Do you know what happened next? God checked my spirit and thought, that's feeding my ego. That's feeding my pride. That message is not from God. Come to find out, after spending some time with this, this individual that said that for about seven, eight, nine days, it wasn't from God. This guy had some other difficulties all over the place. If something's feeding our ego and not our soul, we've got to be real careful with that. And that's, what Herod, that's what happened with Herod here. Just fed his pride, fed his ego, fed his sin nature. And he, and he lapped it up. He, he just soaked it up. Yep, give that to me. I'm in my royal robes. I'm orating all this. Pour it on me. Woo! I mean, if you guys start saying that to me right now, I'd run off the office platform. Woo! He's excited. The people are excited. But he ought not to have received that praise. He ought, or if he received it, he ought to glorified God, but he doesn't do it. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Do you know there are some contrasting pairs in these verses? And this is in rapid fire, okay? There are two men that are prominent in chapter 12. There are two men that are prominent. Peter, a man of the word, a man you could call a man of God. And Herod, a man of the world. Two, pair, two, two men that are, that are prominent. These are contrasting pairs. Does that make any sense? Contrasting pairs? Each one of these are a pair of something, but they contrast each other. There are two angelic visits. An angel wakes Peter up, and an angel takes Herod out. There are two kings represented. Herod, the earthly king, and Jesus, the king of kings. There are two seats of judgment. Herod's. From Herod's throne come Herod's words to some people. And God's judgment. From God's throne has come the word of God to all people, the gospel. And that's where the narrative of the book of Acts has brought us to. In verse 24, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Herod has two appointments. Herod has two appointments. On the appointed day, he comes to make this oration. He has two appointments, but he's only scheduled one of them. And God has scheduled the other one. There's a lot of different ways to say this. And I, this, I, love, I, love, I love just the thought of that. Herod has two appointments, and he's only scheduled one of them. Each one of us are in the same place as Herod, right? We're making appointments. We're making appointments. There's an appointment coming that we haven't scheduled. Hebrews 9.27, For it is appointed upon man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And there's two words. There's the word of Herod. And then there's the word of God. Whatever Herod said died with him on that day. We're not even told what he said. Just died with him on that day. But the word of the Lord endures forever. His words carried little or no authority beyond his grave. This is a powerful man. Dealing with some kind of business thing or something with very prominent cities. 
But this is the kind of stuff that goes on today. There are prominent people dealing with prominent things about prominent places. And we can get a little too worked up about that because whatever those people say, if it's not from the Word of God, it's going to carry little or no authority beyond the grave. I mentioned last week the church has powerful enemies. Put up this, this week we got this up here. This is George Washington crossing the Delaware. Um, He was going against a powerful enemy. The church has powerful enemies. We have a powerful enemy. We are in warfare. Even in this place right now, there's a battle for our hearts, our souls, our minds. The enemy would love to come in and distract and cause you to think, I don't know about what that guy's saying and I don't know if he's doing it just... Look, get rid of all that. Let's just conf- let's come before God and His Word and just see that, it, that there is an appointment for everyone. And it ought to give us boldness in our witness. It ought to give us excitement about sharing the gospel with people because this is, what, this is authoritative. Whether people believe it or not, whether there's a Voltaire in our community or heading for Washington uh, a year from now makes no difference. This is authoritative. We stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Thank you for that song this morning, Ron. We're considering today the Word of God in a world of people. And I'm asking the question, how is it doing? And then I'm taking that question, just not how is it doing as you look out at the world, but how is it doing in your life? Just considering today the Word of God in a world of people How is the Word of God doing in my life? How is my life framed up by the Word of God? Is it? And can it be more closely lined up with the Word of God? i got to move. Again, I believe this is a message that can inspire a greater boldness and instill a greater confidence in the people of God to be involved with the things of God um, and, and to be trusting in the Word of God as we live our lives. And that brings us right to our next point. And this is that God's Word advances in the world of man. God's world advances in the world of man. I'm tempted to just jump off these notes. The, the point is here that God's Word is not static. It's dynamic. It's not words on a page. It's, it's living and active. It interacts with us. And we interact with it. That's God's Word. Some despise the Word. Others deny it. Others distort it. Others dissect it. Someone has well said. Dissect it means you just kind of take it as just information like you would Shakespeare or a dictionary or a math book. But that's not what we ought to do with the Word of God. It's, it's living it active. It, it's, it's meant to change us. God's designed it in that way. God's Word advances in the world of man. That's my second point. You know, this is the third of seven progress reports on the advance of the Gospel through this book of Acts, this verse 24. But the Word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. The first one is in Acts 6-7. After they uh, appointed some deacons, it says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The next one is in Acts 9.31. After uh, Saul is, is sent away back to Tarsus, it says, 
that the church enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. There's the advance of the Word of God in the world, in the people, in the world of people. And this one, today. But in what sense could the Word of God grow and multiply? How? how? It's only in that sense. It does so in the world of people. That's how it grows and advances. It's forever settled in heaven, but it has a work to do. It has a work to do. It's spoken of as seed. It's forever settled in heaven, but it is only on here on earth that God's Word is contested. Right? It's only here that it's contested. But in the end, it is no contest. I like to watch boxing. I apologize for people that think it's too brutal of a sport. I boxed when I was younger. I like to watch boxing. I was watching a boxing match uh, just a few, two, two, three days ago, an old one, and um, the guy was outmatched. He had a great heart, but he was outmatched. Larry Holmes beat up on that guy for 15 rounds. The guy took every punch. He hardly laid a glove on Larry Holmes. It was the most outmatched match I watched <laughs> maybe ever. It was a world heavyweight fight. This guy, he could take a beating, but he, he just had no chance. It's like that. There's no chance. There's no contest when it comes to the Word of God. That ought to give us boldness as well. In the end, God wins. And the book of Acts has as its theme the advance of the Gospel, the Word of God in the world of man. Again, last week we looked at prayer as communication with God. Today it is that God has communicated with us. And that is primarily through His enduring authoritative Word. He's communicated with us. God's Word is the discerner of our thoughts and our attitudes. I began, and we're going to close quickly here now, I began making, with making reference to Isaiah 40, verse 6 and 8. Do you know Peter makes reference to those verses himself in 1 Peter 1, 23-25. You might want to turn there just to have them before you. 1 Peter 1, 23-25. This is the man that was released. This is the man that was there when Herod died and was eaten by worms. This is the man that had the angel visit him who lived to see these events unfold, who was a participant in these events. And he has something to say about the Word of God in the world of people. And he's speaking to believers in this passage and he's exhorting them just prior to this to a deeper love for one another. That's what he's exhorting them to, to, to love each one, one another more fervently, I think is what he's saying. I'm not even looking at it. It's right in front of me. Love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart, he says. And then he gives them the motivation for that. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, or not of seed which is corruptible, but of incorruptible. We talked about things that are corruptible and incorruptible in our, in our, in our time in Sunday school. And the Word of God is incorruptible incorruptible and we've been born again of that seed of incorruptible seed peter is saying we are new creations in christ yep we carry around this body of death the old nature the old man but we are new creations in christ praise god and amen that that is the case born of incorruptible seed incorruptible seed what a powerful thing peter is saying here 
That is through the living and enduring Word of God, he says. And here he quotes it. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. He's acknowledging that a life lived without God, and that we're just like grass. And all our glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, we're done, it's over. We're so temporal. But he says, for those of us who are in Christ, we are born of incorruptible, enduring seed. That is the Word of God. He likens the Word of God to seed. And their new birth as sprouting from this incorruptible seed. And then he closes with this. And this is the Word which was preached to you. An enduring Word that is preached in the world of people is the power of God unto salvation. Hey? And the new life that is growing out of that seed is life eternal. It's life indeed. It is life, abundant life that Jesus talked about. Now how does this connect? It connects because it's all about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God for us as believers as well. Verse 25, and we'll close. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. And here it is, the means God uses to advance His Word among the people of the world. He uses His people. He uses His people. There's a, there's a lot of interest in spirituality. Cindy and I have been watching, have watched, we've watched all the episodes. It was only a one season long thing. This food program, and I don't know the name of it, probably a good thing. And in this food program, they'd go all around the world and they would help a restaurant get themselves straightened out. Their, their decor was a mess, their food tasted bad, and their attitude toward their customers was terrible. And they'd talk to them about that. And each one of those episodes, almost every one of them, I don't know if every one of them, they had some, I'm doing air quotes here, spirituality segment. <laughs> they had some spirituality segment to that. And that's kind of more to the message next week. But in that spirituality segment was a bunch of weird, whacked out, wackerdoodle stuff. But my point is people are inter interested in things that are spiritual. It's not that people are not interested. They are interested in spiritual things. They're looking the wrong direction. It's the Word of God that they need. It's there where true spirituality can be found. Be found. And these men, Barnabas and Saul, returning from Jerusalem, they went to take a gift that was being given to the saints at Jerusalem because of a famine from the churches of God, right? That's what they went to go do. Spirituality is so practical. It's so practical. It's not, ooh, spirituality. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. We've got to close here. I've been saying we were going to close. I'm five minutes past when I promised you. I don't know what you'll do with this message. But this message was about the Word of God and the world of people. And I wanted to encourage us with this fact that God's Word endures despite any adversary, despite anyone that might come against it, and that God's Word, God's word advances in the world of man. And that's still true today. And it advances in us and it advances through us. That should have been the point. And I should have ended there. Uh, we've got communion. Let me pray. And then Rick and Sarn, would you come and help us with that?